37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to episode 127 of Pixelated Paranormal. I think this is our first official show of the new year, right? Whoop, whoop. Mm-hmm. Looky there. Well, I've got a fun one planned, I think. Uh, you're kind of walking in, into this one a little blind, but I think that's going to be kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Tonight's just Preston and I. We don't have Steven. He should be back with us uh, within the next couple episodes. It'll be good to have him back. But um, Preston, anything new with you? No, man. I'm doing pretty good. So Same old, same old. Sweet. Yeah, same old, same old. Awesome. What are you drinking tonight? PBR. PBR, Old Faithful. That's right. You can't go wrong. Hell yeah. I'm working Wait. on a uh, Great Divide Titan IPA. You put a little uh, sea salt in that PBR <laughs> and uh, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll make a note of that. Well, the crux of tonight's episode is going to be a little different. I've been going through recently trying to find news articles to bring up before our episodes, and I've been having one heck of a time trying to find articles that are true versus articles that are all made up and clickbaity. <laughs> yeah. So I thought it'd be fun to go through and read you about six different articles that I've gone through today and yesterday in search of news and quiz you to see if you think... They are fact or fake. Fact or fake. So what I'll do is have you begin with one of your normal, you know, fake news stories. And then I'll read you one by one, six different headlines. Oh. You tell me if you think just by the headline, they're fact or fake. Right on. And then I'll read you the story behind it. <laughs> <laughs> so to start things off, Preston, you lead the way. When the facts don't matter. You are fake news. Uh, we have a page turner in Las Vegas history. That's right, folks. A 76-year-old prostitute retires after satisfying her 500,000th client. Wow. Today marks an important milestone in the history of prostitution in Nevada as the legendary prostitute Patrice $3 Thompson announced her retirement after a 54-year career that left 500,000 customers satisfied, including four American presidents. <laughs> <laughs> Nicknamed $3 for the price of a blowjob when she started working in the sex industry, Mrs. Thompson rapidly became known as one of the best in the profession. The Sex Workers Union of Nevada named her Sex Worker of the Year 17 times between 1969 and 1992, and honored her contribution to the profession with a Lifetime Achievement Award in 2011. Patrice Thompson says she could have retired years ago, but had always loved her job and wanted to reach an objective she had set for herself decades ago. When I was younger, I could satisfy 50 to 100 men per day. I decided I would reach a half a million before retiring, but then I became less popular, so it took me a few extra years to get there. Her very last customer, a 34-year-old man from Hamburg, Germany, says he made the 5,400-mile trip specifically to Miss Thompson. 
the best best experience of my life. She has God-given skills and over 50 years of experience. It was like having sex with a god. <laughs> now that she is retired, Miss Thompson intends to contact the Guinness World Records organization to obtain the recognition that she deserves for her accomplishment. She has several documents to prove her claim, including employer tax records and even tens and thousands of customer reviews. The actual record is held by Louise Mantine Falcons, twins who were both prostitutes in Amsterdam Red Light District for 50 years and had sex with 355,000 men and combined in their run about 177,000 uh, each. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know what? When you're good at your job, it's not like you worked a day in your life. That's right. When you love what you do. <laughs> well, okay. When was the article written? It doesn't say. Okay. There's I'm gonna no call, dates. I'm going to call poppycock on the simple fact that if this was written any time in the last two years... They would have referred to Miss Patrice. That was her name, right? Patrice Thompson. Uh huh. Uh huh. Patrice. Okay. They would have. Ha- they would have referred to her as a sex worker and not a prostitute. Ooh. Uh huh. Little, little telling oh. sign there. Oh. Uh huh. I think you cracked the fake fake news code. <laughs> I think you cracked the nut on this one, huh? Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, this is what's going to be fun about this is based on those articles, I put together a series of recent articles, and I want you to tell me if they're true or false, because you never can tell. But folks, I pulled a, a swope snopes scopes on this bad boy. I just took a swig of my PBR, so you hit me with your best shot. <laughs> All right. $3 hauling. So, th- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Okay. Police robot tells crime witness to leave it alone. Um, True or false? I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with uh, false because as of right now, uh, robots don't speak very well. You know, <laughs> okay. they gotta be they gotta be pre-programmed. Uh huh. Okay. Article is actually a fact. Oh fuck me. <laughs> yep. A woman recently rushed over to a motorized police officer in L.A., pushed its emergency alert button on s- after seeing a brawl break out in Salt Lake Park, Los Angeles, only a month ago. Instead of offering assistance, however, the egg-shaped police robot, whose official name is HP Robocop, barked a reply back at the woman saying, Step out of the way. To add insult to injury, the high-tech device then rolled away while humming an intergalactic song to itself, pausing periodically to say, keep the park clean. She says, I kept pushing the call button for the police, but it kept telling me just to get out of the way. It just kept ringing and ringing, and I kept pushing and pushing. The concerned bystander thought the five-foot-tall robot might have needed to see her face before it began to work, so then she crouched down in front of its camera but the egg-shaped device still didn't work, forcing the woman to call 911 on her phone instead. Officers from Huntington Park Police Department finally arrive 15 minutes later, after the fight had already ended, leaving one woman with a bad head wound, which they later loaded her into an ambulance via a stretcher to take her to the hospital for an emergency treatment. Local Police Chief Cosme Lozano 
says the robots, which cost between $60,000 to $70,000 a year to lease, are still in a trial phase, and their alert buttons have not yet been activated. He said that law enforcement have not yet started advertising the robot crime-fighting activities. Any help requests are currently sent to a company called Nightscope, which creates and leases the robots. Lozano added that once the robot completes the trial, calls made using its alert button will be sent straight to dispatch. Other versions of the same model have previously hit headlines after one fell into a fountain in Washington, D.C., and a third HP Robocop struck a child while patrolling a mall in California's Silicon Valley. Damn. <laughs> right? So there you have it. A true story based off a simple headline. Now you, now you see how the game goes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to number two. Human corpse used as decoration in theme park funhouse. Mm. Fact or fake? Fact. Boom, there you go. In December of 1976, a Universal Studio camera crew arrived at the New Pike Amusement Park in Long Beach, California, to film an episode of the television action show The Six Million Dollar Man. While preparing the set in the corner of the funhouse, a worker went to move a hanging man, causing one of the prop's arms to come off. Inside was a human bone. People thought this was just a mere prop of a skeleton. No one really knew it was the mummified corpse of a man. The body belonged to that of Elmore McCurdy, a young man who in 1911 robbed a train of a mere $46 and two jugs of whiskey back in Oklahoma. He announced to a posse that was in pursuit of him that he would not be, that he would not be taken alive. He was proved right. They killed him in the ensuing shootout. McCurdy began his career as a sideshow attraction right after his embalming. He looked so darn good dressed up in his fancy clothes that the undertaker propped him up in the corner of the funeral home's back room and charged locals a nickel to come see the, quote, bandit who wouldn't give up. Partakers would put their nickels inside the corpse's open mouth, where they were later retrieved by an entrepreneurial undertaker. No next of kin showed up to claim McCurdy, so the corpse kept mouthing nickels for several years. Carnival promoters wanted to buy the stiff, but the undertaker turned them down. McCurdy was producing such a steady stream of income for the funeral parlor, why tamper with success? In 1915, however, two men showed up and claimed McCurdy was their brother. They hauled the body away, supposedly to give him a decent burial in the family plot. In reality, McCurdy's brothers were just carnival promoters, and this was a ruse to get the deceased away from that proprietary undertaker to use for their own promotions. They would exhibit McCurdy throughout Texas under the same billing as the undertaker had once given him before, the bandit who wouldn't give up. After that tour, McCurdy popped up everywhere, including an amusement park near Mount Rushmore, lying in an open casket in a Los Angeles wax museum, and also in a few low-budget films. Before the $6 million man crew discovered the prop to be a corpse, McCurdy had been hanging in the Long Beach Funhouse for four years. No one knew he was a real dead body, they just thought he was a very well-designed prop. Finally, in 1977, the much-traveled Elmer McCurdy was finally laid to rest in Summit View Cemetery in Guthrie, Oklahoma. 
To make sure the corpse would not be making its way back to the entertainment world, the state medical examiner ordered two cubic yards of cement to be poured over top the coffin before the grave was closed. McCurdy thus has not been seen hanging around in any more amusement parks since. And I've heard a fun fact to add to that. That might have been the actual inspiration for the Skeletor action figure. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. All right, Presto, here's one we were going to cover a few years ago and never got to. Okay, lay it on a me. man who searches for Oklahoma urban legend dies after discovering a real-life farm witch. Fact or fake? Dude, I, I want this in my heart, deep down in my heart, way in the bottom of my heart, <laughs> <laughs> to be fact. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with it. And I'm going to say fact. And if you break my heart word, this, this podcast is over <laughs> with. <laughs> well, we'll sit there in our sorrows together, buddy. Because okay. the story of the infamous Charlie Noonan disappearance is, in fact, false. Ah, son of a bitch. So through years and years and years of photography and ghost books and paranormal activity subreddits, there have been a series of strange photos that have made their way through school libraries all the way up through the internet. You have the classic, you know, unexplained astronaut with the woman who's got the weird-looking man in a red uh, jumpsuit standing behind her on a hilltop. You have those creepy feet that fell through someone's ceiling just as a family photo was being taken. And then you have the strange photo taken by Charlie Noonan. Charlie Noonan is an urban myth about the mysterious disappearance of a man. The tale is not a true story. However, the image is still interesting and grabs your attention nonetheless. The urban legend of Charlie Noonan is as follows. Charlie Noonan is an amateur folklorist who traveled throughout South and Southwestern U.S. during the early years of the 20th century. He collected tall tales and short stories of supernatural goings-ons. According to his wife, Ellie Noonan, Charlie was once told a story about an Oklahoma farmer who had a strange woman who lived in an isolated property house just off the panhandle of Oklahoma. The farmer told Charlie the woman was not a woman at all, but something else. A strange beast hiding in the flesh of a woman. And she was hiding something else with her as well. A large black dog with big red glowing eyes. Noonan was so intrigued that he packed up his belongings, and headed on the trail to figure out just exactly who the witch woman was. But he was never seen again. Ellie Noonan was later contacted by a Tulsa pawnbroker who remembered reading about her husband's disappearance in the newspapers, who had just recently found a camera with his name engraved on the outside edge of the lens. The pawnbroker returned the camera, and Miss Noonan had the film inside developed in the hopes of finding a clue as to where he had disappeared to. There was only one photo found on the roll. Unfortunately, neither the location of the property nor the name of the farmer who told the story was recorded in Noonan's notes. Now, further research goes to show us this is actually just an urban myth. In modern-day detective work, there's no folklorist named Charlie Noonan or photographers and there's no record of any kind of the strange events actually occurring. What you can find is a picture of a woman 
wearing a head wrap and a large dog next to her walking through a cornfield. And if you zoom in on the photo, you'll find her eyes are glowing bright, bright, bright like ambers. After many years of analyzing the photos, Internet Sleuths had discovered somebody had faked the photograph through early photo manipulation once they found the negatives for another photo of a simple farm woman and her great Pyrenees trotting through a farm road. This false artist, so to speak, took the woman's photo, reversed it, and then dodged a couple light bright eyes into the character and then posted the story online, thus creating one of the best online urban myths of all times, The Witch Woman and Charlie Noonan. So what's funny, Preston, is with that story, I actually wanted to do a whole episode based on it. No, no, me too. And then, <laughs> and then after researching it this afternoon, I found that it wasn't real. <laughs> you know what? F- fuck you and your science. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it just goes to show you really got to watch out for these headlines. That's right. All right. This next one I think will be easy for you to solve. Reality TV show canceled mid-season after contestant commits murder. Ooh. I mean, that could kind of go either way. I'm going to have to go with fact, though, because I can see somebody doing that. All right. Attempting to seize... Oh, sorry. That is true. <laughs> this headline <laughs> is true. <laughs> Attempting to seize on the success of VH1's Rock of Love with Brett Michaels, the TV show network debuted Megan Wants a Millionaire back in 2009. The show followed the life of Megan Hauserman, the one-time Rock of Love contestant who during one episode claimed that her ultimate goal in life was to become a trophy wife. So VH1 puts their heads together and makes up a brand new reality trash show where they ask men with a net worth of more than $1 million to compete for the young reality star's love. Shortly after its August 2, 2009 premiere, however, the show was abruptly canceled. A grisly murder-suicide involving one of the show's contestants named Ryan Jenkins, a Canadian real estate, had been discovered only three episodes in of the airing of the new show. Ryan Jenkins, who was rumored to have placed third place in the ultimate finale of the show, had married a swimsuit model named Jasmine Fiore shortly after the show's premiere. He had married her after less than twelve in less than 48 hours of knowing Fiore. Fiore was a swimsuit model who frequently worked as a body paint model at parties for entertainment. She appeared in shows at Las Vegas casinos. Fiore had acted in a few commercials for adult phone lines and also was a bathing suit model. But recently, Fiore had also obtained her own real estate license and was planning on opening a gym and a personal training center. Fiore met real estate investor Ryan Jenkins at a Las Vegas casino shortly after Jenkins completed filming Megan Wants a Millionaire. Two days later, on March 18, 2009, the pair married at the Little White Wedding Chapel in the Las Vegas Strip. Three months after their wedding, in June 2009, in Clark County, Nevada, Jenkins later was charged with battery constituting domestic violence after he hit his then-wife Fiore in the arm after arguing with her over her kissing her former fiancé at a party 
Jenkins had hit Fiore's arm hard enough to cause her to fall into a swimming pool in front of several witnesses. Jenkins was scheduled to then go on trial in 2009. The pair had reconciled shortly before Fiore's death and were reportedly traveling to San Diego for a charity poker game. Investigators reported that Jenkins and Fiore checked into the La Berege Hotel in Del Mar, San Diego on the evening of August 13, 2009. They were attending a poker tournament, a charity fundraiser for the Karma Foundation at the Del Mar Hilton. Surveillance video captures Fiore and Jenkins leaving the hotel at about 2.30 in the morning on August 14th. The couple was later seen at the Ivy Hotel at a nightclub downtown in San Diego. Around 4 a.m. in the morning, Jenkins returns to the La Arege Hotel alone, and Fiore had not been seen alive again. Jenkins left the hotel around 9 a.m. later that day. Fiore's body was discovered on August 15, 2008. Her body was discovered but not identified on August 15th around 7 a.m. Her corpse was discovered badly beaten, crushed, and broken inside of a suitcase in a dumpster at an alley in Buena Park, California. Jenkins reported Fiore missing on August 15th at 8.55 p.m. He told police he last saw his wife around 8.30 p.m. on August 14th at their home in Edinburgh Avenue in Los Angeles. Jenkins said they had gone to San Diego for the poker tournament, and after returning, she had dropped him off at the house and then left on her own, in her own car, to run some errands and never returned. According to Buena Park Police, Fiore's teeth and fingers had been removed before her naked body had been smashed, beaten, and crushed, then stuffed into a suitcase. She had also been strangled. Authorities believed the mutilation was an attempt to impede identification on the dead body. On August 18th, her remains were, however, identified by using the serial numbers on her breast implants. The Orange County Coroner's Office reported Fiore had died just a few short hours before her body had been found. Jenkins was the only suspect on the case and was immediately charged with the murder of his wife. He would never face a courtroom, however, because on August 23, 2009, as police descended upon a hotel room where he had been hiding out, Jenkins' body was found hanging in a Canadian hotel room. Police later found a suicide note on his computer's hard drive. The murder-suicide prompted an immediate cancellation of the series just after they aired the third episode. Hosmer men went on to reveal in a People magazine article her fear that she could have ended up as Jenkins' next victim. But I went on a little bit of a uh, research bender after this, Preston, to discover this isn't the only murder based on reality TV shows. Really? Yeah. You remember that old show, uh, To Catch a Predator, with Chris yeah. Hansen? Yeah. Uh, so there was an episode of that show where they actually found a, um, a, a Texas prosecutor was having relations with a supposed 13-year-old boy. And, of course, with that show, they had adult actors and actresses who were just very immature, you know, in appearance, mm -hmm. to portray underage kids. They staked out for two weeks working on this guy, finally getting him to bite down and schedule, you know, a meeting with this kid who was supposed to be staying at somebody's house alone, dog-sitting. 
and um, they had him on tape. He said, oh, yeah, I'm going to come visit you. I'm going to come see you, blah, blah, blah. We're going to have a great time. But after a few days, the guy never shows up. They find the house he lives in in Texas in this weird small town. They roll up with a SWAT team. Uh, the guy kind of catches wind on what's going on and ended up committing suicide before they could peg him for pedophilia. Huh. Yep. And then there's a couple more that take place with um, the Jerry Springer show. And or a Flavor others. Flav. <laughs> Was there a Flavor Flav one? I don't know. Okay. I thought this were, were going to go with it. No, but there were, no, no, It no, was no. more was... than just a clock around his neck. Right. No, there was a, another story of a uh, a newly wedded couple saying on Jerry Springer or Sally Jesse or one of these shows that uh, the newly wedded couple was being stalked by the husband's ex-wife. And then when you dig deeper, I guess before the episode, you know, was being recorded, because they all had to go sit on stage and, you know, air their dirty laundry on, on TV. Um, the husband actually slept with the ex-wife the night before. And then when they all three left the show, went back to their house, the newly wedded couple had murdered the ex-wife and then got caught and detained in Canada trying to flee the country. And what's crazy about these things is they seldom end up paying out the families of the victims. Most of the time, the TV networks just make public statements saying, we're very sorry for the loss of the family, for the family, and we're working as close as we can with local authorities. Thanks, Hollywood. <laughs> right. Well, speaking of daytime TV, you're going to recognize this saying, I think. The headline reads, woman accused for murder after Dingo ate her baby. False. False. False, Fake you news. say. Fake news. On, on that famous episode of Seinfeld, the dingo ate your baby. <laughs> Actually, presto, there is truth behind this story. Get the fuck out of here. I was going to save this and actually tell you guys about it during our next show with the uh, CD Trade Post, but I wanted to go ahead and include it tonight. Fuck A your science. <laughs> a dingo ate my baby is a cry falsely attributed to Linda Chamberlain Creighton as part of a death, the death of Azaria Chamberlain from a case back in 1980 in Aluru in the Northern Territory of Australia. The Chamberlain family had been camping near a large rock when their daughter was taken from their tent by a dingo. Prosecutors and authorities rejected the woman's story about a dingo dragging the baby off and thus killing the child as a far-fetched story to cover up a murder, thus charging her with the murder and securing convictions against her and her husband as an accessory to the fact that his wife had murdered their young baby. After several years and challenges in the courtrooms, both parents were later absolved of the crime when a coroner found that Azaria's death was indeed the result of being attacked by a wild animal similar to a dog, such as a dingo. The phrase was popularized via the case, but Chamberlain is reported to have either called out to her husband a variety of different things. That's why I said it was a false claim to the case. Her husband says he can't honestly clearly remember what the wife says. It could have been a dingo took my baby, that dog's got my baby, or my god, my god, a dingo has got my baby. Later, the saying, however, was popularized and coined by Meryl Streep, who played Chamberlain in a film called Evil Angels, also known as A Cry in the Dark. 
where she portrayed Miss Chamberlain in the harrowing events of that night, in which she exclaimed, The dingo took my baby! And then again repeated during that episode of Seinfeld. So, in fact, Preston, yes, that headline is true. Now, the last one I got here, buddy, let's figure this one out together. Okay. Man fixes aliens UFO and gets pancakes as a thank you. I mean, that's got to be real, but it's probably <laughs> fake. Right. <so. laughs> well, I saved a good one for last because I don't know if it's true or not, Preston. This right. story was shared at an alien abduction of the fourth kind close encounters convention. The day started out normal for Joe Symington. After enjoying a lunch at home on his chicken farm, he'd noticed a strange UFO descending onto his property, hovering just a few feet above the ground. Looking out the window, he saw a trio of strange creatures appearing, one clutching an empty jug and gesturing towards Simiton's water hose. Seemingly unfazed by their unearthly presence, the man regarded the community as perfectly sane and down-to-earth as if somebody had been coming from a neighbor's house to ask for water, instead of screaming and running you know, into the street, saying aliens are there. He ran the tap and filled the vessel full of water and handed it back to the creatures, who in meantime had begun cooking something on a flameless grill in the middle of his yard. In gratitude, one of the creatures offered Simonton a quartet of space pancakes before setting off into the atmosphere. Remarkably suspicious, Simonton had to have a taste. He said it tasted like cardboard. Notes Paranormal Research Chad Lewis who had to share the bizarre tale and others during the UFOs of Wisconsin program. The story doesn't end there, however. His neighbors also say they spotted the spacecraft en route to his farm and had called authorities. And members of the U.S. Air Force with Project Blue Book, the program created to investigate and explain UFO sightings, soon arrived on property too. They found Mr. Simonton to be a credible witness, but thought he had gone stir-crazy on his farm and just made up the story. The Air Force turned the pancakes over to the Food and Drug Administration, which determined the crispy concoctions were just regular, old-fashioned buckwheat flapjacks. Despite his numerous investigations, Lewis says he has yet to experience anything paranormal himself, noting, You can hear these stories from other people who say their house is haunted, but when you go there, nothing happens to you. Of those claiming to be abducted, Lewis goes on to say, If you believe their story, you have to believe life is out there other than us. And not only are they out there, but they're visiting us. And for me, that's the scariest thing. I don't know if it's happening, but I don't think they made it up. These are normal, rational people who just experience something they can't seem to explain, just like space pancakes. Now, I went and did some more digging on this story, and supposedly the original witness says the pancakes themselves were blue and bubbly pancakes. But that's about as far as I could dig into the story. Everything else is pretty much verbatim of what I just read you. So, Presto, I think you were uh, three for five on that game. Was I? I think so, because if we go back here, we see that 
Police police robot tells crime witness to leave it alone. You said false. Uh-huh. Human corpse used as decoration in a theme park you said was true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man who searches for Oklahoma urban legends you wanted to be true. It was false. I don't blame you. My heart was broken, too. So you're going to give me that one? Because, I mean, I did technically call it right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. Reality TV show canceled mid-season after contestant commits murder you said was true. Uh Uh-huh. And then, uh, okay, so man accused of murder after, I'm sorry, woman accused of murder after Dingo ate her baby you said was false. So you're three, you're three and two. Yeah. And then uh, with man fixes alien UFO, gets pancakes as thank you. I'll give that one to you. I'm going to say you're, uh, you're three for six on that then. Woo woo. (laughs) But yeah, it just pays folks to read the story, not just the headline. Yeah. But uh, I think that might be a kind of a fun uh, segment to start using in 2020 is to bring one or two of these each episode to read and then reveal after the fact if they are fact or faked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. I'll be down for that. All right. Well, I know it's a rather short episode this time around, but uh, you got anything else to add? No, I ain't got a goddamn thing. All right. There you go. Well, all right, folks. There you have it. Short and sweet. Hopefully your 2020 is rolling out to be something very special. Hopefully everybody's having a better year than last year. And uh, yeah. yeah, we'll get Steve back in action here. And uh, if everything goes to plan, we're going to get Rob on the next episode and record some really interesting stuff about Hellier season two. So in the meantime, please finish that up if you have not already. As always, check out Mark's solo show, Pixelated Sausage. Check out his Attack the Backlog. Check out our Patreon if you'd like to show your appreciation. You can throw a few dollars at us there. That goes towards a variety of things, including some stuff we're trying to uh, fund down the road for some exciting episodes. And also just the usual maintenance on the show and everything else. So we sure appreciate your support. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then what's my favorite sports car podcast of all time? Sports Cars Unleashed, where if you're not first, you're last. (laughs) There you go. Preston, what do you got for me? If you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to grow a beard that's good for more than just clickbaiting, like the other baiting, check out (laughs) BigDobsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. And use that promo code to get yourself some succulent scents, such as Dundee Cedar, Bay Rum, Sweet Tobacco, Classic, Citrus, Mint. Ooh, the list goes on. And if you don't like bomb, get yourself some oil. Get yourself some soap. Because when you check out Big Dobbs, Dobbs has it all. There you have it. And speaking of soap, check out our buddies over at gunslingersoap.com. Check yeah. out our friends over at CD Trade Post at Pawnee and Seneca. Really great deals, really great people. If you're looking for some movies and DVDs, go check them out. They've got Blu-rays, DVDs, all sorts of really, Pop really... vinyl. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've got uh, collectibles, T-shirts, original T-shirts, I might add, and yeah. lots of other really cool stuff there, so... Awesome. And what else am I forgetting here? Oh, yeah. You mm-hmm. know what? I want to give a shout-out to a local business here in Wichita that uh, we haven't really talked about before. If you guys are over on Rock and Harry or nearby or need anything professionally printed, you have got to go check out Fast Print just off of Rock Road and Harry. These people are some of the very best printers in the business, and I swear to you, they beat the pants off any Kinkos, any Office Max, any Copy Max, any of those places. 
high quality artwork. Um, they have bailed me out of a few sticky situations when it's come to getting my artwork printed and uh, they really came through in the 11th hour for the art show that I had last Friday and the work they do is just truly incredible. So go check them out here in Wichita, yeah. fast print. All right, I think that about does it. Anything else you can think of you want to plug? Nope. All right, well, there you go, guys. Cheers to the weird shit out there in the world and those of us that love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the Paranormal Highway. The cast at Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the Paranormal Highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.